On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I had the pleasure of talking to Abel Samet from Troubadour. We had an awesome conversation all around uh, the beginnings of the pandemic there in the bag business. And so that was not an easy time. We talked about uh, some of the moves that they made during that time to have the most successful year in 2021 after 2020 was very, very difficult. Uh, but they made some specific decisions uh, that really uh, helped with that. We talked about marketing in 2022, what's working, what's not, all of that kind of stuff. You guys are not going to want to miss this episode today. If you are a mid seven figure brand and above, listen up. Are you struggling with ads this year? Uh, how about growth in general? What about profitability? Supply chain issues got you down? You are not alone. As a brand owner myself, I totally get this. iOS 14 has ravaged many smaller brands. The good news, our clients at Upgrowth and the brands that we own have not been touched. Don't get me wrong. We had to fight to figure out how to advertise effectively in a post-surveillance ad world, but we learned some incredible lessons along the way, and we want to share some of those lessons with you. So go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow to apply for a free growth plan today so we can show you what is working in a post iOS 14.5 world. Again, that is www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Uh, today I am joined by Abel Samet from Troubadour. Abel, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yes. I got to listen to the podcast or a few of the podcasts in preparing and I am a fan. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, that's that's great to hear. It, it's kind of funny because, you know, we have these conversations like this where it's just you and me and a nice brick wall behind me and whatever you've got there. And I often forget that like there's thousands of people that are listening to this podcast right now and actually are getting value out of it. So that makes me just feel awesome. You know, we started this podcast, I don't even know, three or four years ago, something like that, just as like this little thing. And yeah, and I just want to thank everybody who listens to this. It's it's absolutely amazing. Abel, let's move on to, uh, to our conversation today. For people who don't know anything about you or anything about Troubadour, just tell us a little bit about who you are and then what you guys do. Sure. So my co-founder Samuel and I started Troubadour originally because we were both working professional jobs in finance, traveling a lot for work, but also pretty outdoorsy people. And mm. the bags we used for hiking and, and things in the outdoors world, we thought were pretty good. So they're lightweight, they're pretty comfortable, waterproof versus the bags we were using more professionally. We were just felt like were terrible. So they were heavy, they were clunky. They sort of, there wasn't a lot of thoughtfulness in the design. We learned later that was because they were really designed around the manufacturing process and not around the human spine or what's comfortable. <laughs> and so you know, for us, the journey for Troubadour really started to say, can we bring some of the things we love about bags in the outdoors world into bags you know, for work and weekend that look great, but are just a pleasure to use, are more comfortable, incorporate new design, supply chain, performance elements that exist in the world now that didn't used to. Yeah. And, you know, make bags that we really want to use ourselves and and that we think our friends would will enjoy using also. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So I'm betting 2020, you know, March of 2020 came around and, and you guys were selling like hotcakes, eh? Yeah. So COVID, not the friend of the bag business. Yes. <laughs> I've got other friends in the bag business and the suitcase <laughs> business and all that kind of stuff. And that was a absolutely brutal time for them. I'd love to hear your experience throughout that. Right. So people use bags to commute and to travel and come, you know, March, April, 2020, the world was shutting down. There was no commuting, very little travel happening. And the general demand for bags was really not what we had been expecting. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, to say the least, I think different 
brands took different approaches to that. And I think one area where we, I'm not sure we even consciously realized it at the time, but in hindsight, there was a lot of capacity in the supply chain because everyone was cutting like crazy. So everyone was trying to reduce orders, cut costs on product development. And one thing that we sort of noticed in being quite close to our, our supply chain partners is that some of the best product development people in the world were hanging out with not much to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is definitely some dark clouds. But there are some silver linings here, which is these incredibly talented product development people in what are really some of the best factories in the world. Normally, it's really hard to get time with them. You have to book it far in advance. And we were able to do really a couple of years worth of product development in a few months. And so we wow. introduced eight new product styles you know, we, that were developed basically in that 2020 total lockdown situation. But because there was so much focus of everyone involved, we were able to create a series of new products that we then launched in 2021 and some coming out this year in 2022 that are super exciting that we wouldn't have been able to do nearly as fast or nearly as comprehensively if there wasn't all this spare capacity. So, you know, I think in some sense we're, we're blessed because we're smaller, we're a private company. If we decide it doesn't make sense to focus on the quarterly numbers for that quarter, we don't need to try to sit yeah. there and focus on revenue mitigation. Yeah. And so, you know, we sort of said 2020 revenue, Q2, Q3, it's going to be what it's going to be. Let's focus on continue evolving and, and making the product better and better and better. And that's really what's sort of core to us and who we are. It also led to just an awesomely strong 2021, even though the first half of the year, a lot of people still weren't vaccinated. There still wasn't that much traveling going on. But 2021 was our, our best year ever, which I think is pretty unusual in our space. Wow. And that's really due to, I think, a lot of the actions we took at the start of the pandemic. Absolutely. What I'm thinking, uh, one of the, the frameworks that I love to use is the seven habits of highly effective people mm -hmm. framework. And one of the one of the ideas in there is the prioritization habit is uh, making sure to put first things first, right? And I think of you guys realizing like, oh my gosh, we're probably not going to be selling a lot right now. Let's see right. what we can do that is not urgent, right? I feel like product development is one of those things. It's not an urgent task, but it's incredibly important. So Absolutely. living in that sort of like not urgent, important quadrant and being like, okay, let's do this to set ourselves up for success. Where a lot of business owners were just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, if they didn't have cash in the bank or didn't have access to lines of credit or whatever that was, it was an incredibly right. difficult time for them. And they weren't able to step back and be like, oh, okay, how are we going to set ourselves up so that we have the best year ever in 2021? Because obviously people are going to keep buying bags, right? Right. No, for sure. I mean, it, it is incredibly hard to live in that quadrant, even when you know you should be living in that quadrant, focusing on what's important as opposed to what's urgent today. And I'm certainly the first one to say that we don't always, you know, spend all of our existence there as much as we would like to. And COVID was super stressful yeah. for us, for our team. You know, it, it feels like we're moving past it. And I really hope we are. But yeah, trying to stay focused on what are the things that are within our control and the ways that we can long term make our product and our delivery and our ability to delight customers better and better. Absolutely. Let's stay on the on the COVID train just for a minute here. What happened when COVID happened with your retail relationships? Did those POs still go through? Like I imagine that you had a lot of, you know, a lot of orders that were, you know, contingent on delivering and that you had some supply in. What was that like for you? Yeah. So coming into COVID, we our business was about 50-50 wholesale direct. And we had about 60 wholesale partners around the world, high-end ones in the UK. So Harrods, Harvey Nichols, Liberty, some of the big guys in the US, Nordstrom, Bloomingdale, Saks, and then some non-traditional retail also. So Four Seasons Hotels, Equinox Gyms, and a number of sort of smaller specialty stores around the world also. It was really a mixed bag as far as what happened when COVID hit. So to some extent, you know, there were some PO cancellations, even if, you know, someone gives you an order and, and they commit to buy it, you know, <laughs> they give you a phone call and say, look, you can ship it, but I'm not sure I'm ever going to pay you. So, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't ship that. 
you know, I, I think it's public, which of the big retail chains just unilaterally extended payment terms. We didn't have a choice. You know, they, they, we had already shipped product and they said, okay, this thing that we were saying, we're going to pay you in 30 days. We're now paying you 120 days later. And it's a small brand. There's not too much you can do there. Yeah. Other than sort of opens your eyes a little bit to how they view the, the relationship, you know, so, so there's definitely some battle scars from, oh, I'm sure those experiences, but you know, we, we shifted the business. So we, we opened our first permanent physical store in July, 2021. So it's been open almost a year now. Our business is now about 75% direct and the wholesale relationships that are currently the strongest, and this may change a couple years from now, but are the ones that really have strong online presence. So matches fashion, yeah. Farfetch, yeah. some of these retailers that are really are online first and do the majority of the sales online. That That's where we're seeing certainly the most growth, but even though it's just stability. Yeah in terms of wholesale partnerships. Abel, let's let's talk about that that flagship retail location. Walk me through what the decision was to do that and have your own retail location. Where is it? Uh, I'd love to hear all about that. I know that that's something you know we've talked about uh, in our companies. We're doing a raise right now. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be doing a raise right now. It actually isn't public yet. That is all around opening up flagship retail across Canada because I love flagship retail. I think that it is yeah. the pivot into you know going from a you know a D to C brand to an actual brand. Yeah. Walk me through that, Abel. That's, it's super interesting. Yeah. So, so our store is 65 Beak Street in London, which is in Soho, sort of super central London, popular shopping area for locals. Also great tourist area right off New Bond Street near Oxford Circus, uh, Piccadilly Circus. And it's a location that we always had our eye on that part of cool. London as where we'd love cool. to have a store, but normally super expensive and a huge risk to open a store in that part of the city. And we ended up, again, this is sort of the view of like the world's terrible right now, but it's going to come back at some point. We, we signed the lease terms at, I really think it's sort of height of COVID pessimism. You know, retail's never coming Perfect. back. No one's ever going to stores yeah. again. Landlord sitting there saying, <laughs> what are we going to do? And we were able to have a conversation with a landlord who really liked us, really loved our brand, wanted us in. And we were able to say, you know, we are happy to do a long-term deal, you know, and, and all that they were getting were offers for pop-up shops, which I think for pop- certainly yeah, have course. an appeal for a certain way. But, you know, we were able to get a great deal because we said we're willing to do something longer because we really believe in this area. We believe in this space. We believe in what we can do with our own physical retail presence. And it's been great. Like on, on many levels, I think you, by having our own store, we're even closer to our customers than we were before. There's daily interactions that are happening and the feedback loop from our team and store with our design process and our ability to iterate and continue to improve what we do. You know, it's, it's huge. So walk me through what portion of your sales is now made up by that retail location? It's single digit percentage. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would expect somewhere in the single digits. I mean, retail is a bigger, uh, longer term kind of play as well. Right. And it's really about that like addition as well of, of revenue in those certain areas. I imagine also that online revenue in that vicinity has probably gone up. Is that correct? Have you, have you guys been tracking any of that? Yes. I mean, again, it's key is sort of teasing out the signal from the noise. So, you know, our business year on year, we're up about 200% right now. Wow. Most of that is you know, the, how strong our space has grown, but also we've grown within our space and, and, you know, our business with London has done fantastically well. The, the number one way that customers find us is because they have friends or colleagues who love us. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, referral word of mouth is, is definitely the foundation of how the word spreads about Troubadour. So it's a little tricky to tease out, you know, someone in an office in London buys a bag, all of a sudden five other people in their office buy bags in the next two weeks. You know, do you give credit to the word of mouth or do you give credit to the store where the first person found us? It, it, it's a little bit of both. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then but, being up 200%, there is a lot of 
signal coming in, right? Like there's just a lot of different things that are potentially happening there. And attribution, even, you know, online attribution pre iOS 14.5, there was still very little actual data that we had, right? I mean, we had all the data in the world, but it was still very difficult to see like, well, did they buy because of this? What do they think? What's the reason that they think that they purchased, right? Right. That's why I love post-purchase surveys, right? I feel like it's just essential to knowing like, hey, where do you think that you heard about us? And where else do you think you heard about us? Right. We at one of our brands, we were running a a pretty small test. It was like $10,000 a month uh, on Pinterest. And getting what looked like incredible results on Pinterest, it was like a 3.5 return on ad spend. Yeah. Awesome. As somebody who owns multiple brands and an agency, I can kind of see through attribution fairly fast. And I went to, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to scale up this channel. This is incredible. Went to my post-purchase surveys just to confirm and zero people said that they found us on Pinterest. Right. Well, after, you know, seemingly it was like 400 purchases, there has to be one person who says that they found out about us there. When we really actually dug into the data, the actual click-through data was like a 0.3 return on ad spend. Right. right? And most likely that was a customer we'd already had anyway. (laughs) Right. Right. So attribution is incredibly difficult, but there are ways that you can do it. Like I love measuring with on platform would be my least reliable data. In my opinion, maybe actually Google analytics is somewhere in there too. triple whale. As you guys know, I'm obsessed with triple whale. That would be my number one source of data alongside of post-purchase survey data. Right. So putting that all in together, right. And actually making a decision that's where I love to be on the attribution side. Sorry, I, I went on a little rant there, Abel, but... <laughs> yeah, for sure. And look, I, I think, you know, Jordan, you have a level of sophistication in this that I think is great. I, I also think there's there's an element where you can ask some pretty basic questions and learn a lot. So, you know, how many of these purchases are coming from repeat customers versus new customers? You know, that, that's one you can pull Shopify, Klaviyo. Yeah, you know, is this super is this second purchase or is that third purchase? Yeah. You know, I, I think for us, a big driver also is history when we started, we were really predominantly a men's business and women's, we, we've degendered the site. So we don't technically have men's and female products, but you know, we've introduced more products that certainly appeal to female customers and the growth in our female customer base has been a major driver of our growth as a brand over the last couple of years. And there's a number yeah. of ways you can see that just by analyzing the products that we're selling and going and looking at who are the people and where do they live and you know what are the zip codes of people buying our products. So it's probably a step down in sophistication from the things that you, you often look at, Jordan, but for us, there's a lot we can learn there, which is totally which is super helpful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is like, this is how I got started in the marketing world is I, when I was 23, I bought a restaurant and right. it was like a fat, like a quick serve restaurant. And the only way that we could track anybody was giving different coupon codes to different areas when we would do like flyer drops, right? And then we're like, oh, right. okay, is this area right. performing? Is this area performing? Like guys, that's what attribution used to be, right? right? And then we would make our marketing decisions based on that. We still post iOS 14.5 have all the data in the world to be able to make good informed decisions. And it doesn't have to be as in the weeds as what I was talking about there, right? It does not have to be like that. What Abel is saying is absolutely spot on. Abel, I want to just shift here to 2022. We're recording this late June, 2022. What's working marketing wise for you guys right now? Yeah. So as I mentioned, the, the number one way people find out about us tends to be word of mouth, customer referral. Yeah. And we really, our big focus is product improvement and customer service. Uh, and it, I think we think of that as the foundation of the house that we're building. Yeah. And so we do advertising. It's if Facebook went away tomorrow, our business would be okay. Yeah. Because that that's not the that's not the way that we are building our following and, and sort of building building our brand. You know, I, I think in terms of marketing more generally, 
I'm a huge fan of Klaviyo, both from campaigns and flows perspective, as well as analytics. And I think the, the way you can segment personalized content, and then as a user, if I'm the user or the, or the, the recipient of the emails, the user, but as me on the brand side, I can understand a lot about customer interest, customer behavior from the way that our customers are interacting with with our email newsletters. Absolutely. So that's that's definitely been a big one. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Abel, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? You know, I said I listened to some other podcasts and I've, I've heard you ask this one before. I struggled to give you one secret to scaling other than the, the focus on delivering for customers. I think NPS score was very new when it came out. You know, now the, this is a net promoter score. It's not something people probably heard a decent amount about, but I, I think feeding the pieces that go into net promoter score. So mm. you know, what is the word of mouth on your brand? Do you really delight customers? You know, yeah. Does yeah. a customer say, when their friend says, oh, you know, I see you got a new bag. Do you like it? What is the response? Is it, yeah, yeah it's pretty good. Yeah, I saw it on an ad. Yeah, or, or is it really, I love it. It uses recycled materials. It's super sustainable. It's also the most comfortable bag I've ever had because of the S-shaped shoulder straps. And like, you know, we get customers who just get obsessed and geek out. And, you know, if you have a customer who's really obsessed with your brand and what you do, for us, that's, that is the best possible way that we can introduce Trubador to more customers and that we can scale yeah. what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. I've got... Three more questions for you. If you've listened to this podcast, hopefully you know what I'm going to ask you. Uh, if not, yep. that's okay. First question, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? So I mentioned this one before, but Klaviyo, I think is is where I'd go. I think the emails are great, but I also love the analytics. Uh, they now have a back in stock automations feature where we power some of our site out of stock information. And I also get sent emails twice a week with, you know, how many people are on the wait list for each of our different products that are out of stock. So it cool. helps with inventory planning. And, you know, it's, it's just a powerful tool for building a greater customer understanding. And absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Second question for your favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now. Yeah. So I'll give you a podcast. And I, so most of the audiobooks I listen to, most books I read, I listen to as audiobooks because I find the medium easier. So doing dishes or, or I, I have two little boys. And so it's hard to find awesome. time to sit down and read. But in terms of audiobooks, I, I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday as an author. And he has a few out, but I, the ones on stoicism, I think are, are for me the ones, if I was going to recommend someone books, Ego is the Enemy, Obstacles the Way for audiobooks. Cool. And then podcasts. There's a few that I'm, I'm, I'm a regular of, but pick just one. Econ Talk, I really like. It's sort of a little bit more geeky. Conversations with Tyler, with Tyler Cowan. I think he's one of the best interviewers that I listen to. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, we'll make sure to put all of those in the show notes. Uh, I always like having those links for myself as well. Most people who come on here, I really, actually, everybody who we end up <laughs> actually sharing their episodes, I really respect, guys, and uh, love having this. Uh, Abel, last question for you. If you could sit down with anybody, they have to be alive. You get an hour with them and it can't be Elon Musk, who would it be? So I'd probably go with Ryan Holiday, who I mentioned before as, as an author. Cool. But he's a very prolific author, my favorite living author. And in addition to the the Stoicism books, he's got Conspiracies, a super entertaining book. It's on the whole Gawker, Hulk Hogan trial and the everything okay, that cool. behind that. If you're looking for a good read, I like probably read that book in a day. I just couldn't put it down. But yeah, Ryan Holiday used to live in LA, went and now lives a farm outside of Austin. I think he's someone I have a lot of respect for and, and uh, I'd love to sit down with him for an hour at some point. Awesome. Abel, such a great conversation with you. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with me on here telling us part of your story. Where can people find out more about you, connect with you, and as well with Troubadour. Yeah, so our website, TroubadourGoods.com. We're also Troubadour Goods on Instagram, uh, most other social platforms. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Awesome. You know, our brand is on LinkedIn. Awesome, that's great. Well, I will make sure to put all of that into the show notes. And thank you again so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So... 
if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.